Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, what to make of VAR light? Can referees do anything to stop players from engineering a drinks break? And just how long should a player be allowed to stay on the pitch for persistent fouling? Also on the show, we'll talk the merits of body cams in grassroots football as the FA asked the IFAB to take a look. And on a weekend when the weather was foul, just how much should referees take conditions into account when making decisions? I'm Mike McCarthy, football broadcaster and journalist who didn't miss being in the press box this weekend, I have to say. Uh, with me, as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL Key Packet. And also on the show this week, Simon Hall, secretary of the Steel City Referee Association. Uh, Keith, Simon, hope you both well. Simon, uh, just before you, uh, we, we started recording, you, you had a game this weekend. You had two. Uh-huh. How on earth was that in these conditions? Do you know what? It was. We were on 4G, and to be honest with you, it, it the conditions were horrendous. I mean, I was drenched. I, I honestly, it was proper right through to the skin stuff. But oh. it was good. Do you know what it was? It was really good, and both teams literally just wanted to keep the ball on the ground, which made it even better. Um, but I did get a message from someone first thing in the morning who had a game and said, what do I do? I've seen the forecast for later on this afternoon. We're on 4G. And I said, just get the goalkeeper's help. And he went, what do you mean? I says, get him to kick it. Let's see what happens to the ball. I says, if you think it's going to be a farce, then you've got your answer straight away. I says, honestly, I says, you'll be fine. I says, it's all down to just watch the goalkeepers before you even kick off. Very interesting. Yeah, you just get your answers that way. Well, I, I've always wondered actually this, and I probably should have looked this up before I asked this question because you know, you guys will know exactly how this uh, pans out. But if the wind is so strong that a goalkeeper takes a goal kick and it blows back into his own net, what's the decision? <laughs> Abandoned game, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're at, if, right. yeah, if you're at that stat, if you're at that bit. Then that's it. Don't get me wrong. If it's just one of those, and it goes. But I'll tell you something. There was, was it? It was last week because it was really bad last Saturday as well. Yes. And I actually watched a girl on an under 15s game pause, wait for the wind, and then took a kick, and it worked to walk, pushed it towards goal. They were actually thinking and waiting for the wind, and I think that's like a massive step forward in football. Keith, what were the worst conditions you ever had to referee in? The game should not have been played. It was Newcastle United versus Sunderland uh, one Sunday morning when I walked across the pitch and the water was covering my boots. And I went in and the game was off. I I couldn't make that decision. The decision is with the Football League then. So as I was ringing the Football League, in walks the assistant chief constable who advises me the game's going to go ahead for all sorts of reasons, security-wise. He said there's 56,000 spectators in the centre of Newcastle. This game's got to go ahead. I rang the Football League thinking that they'd come to my help and that they would say, no way. The Football League said, Keith, if the assistant chief constable wants it played, you play. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Was it a farce as a game, as a spectacle? What what is amazing is the first five minutes was really dodgy. I mean, I, I, I jokingly said to the players before kickoff, uh, and they were about to kick off, and I said, "Look, don't kick it in the Galloway Gate end, far left hand corner. It's a bit it's a bit deep there." And of course, what does the player do? He bangs <laughs> it down, it plops, and I've got to tell you, it it absolutely felt like the spray came off the ball, and I went. Oh, my God. And then the only real problem I had was with the groundsman coming off. We'd absolutely ruined this pitch. I mean, it it just, it was like, it was worse than a ploughed field. And um, the other comment was, uh, as as I'm coming out to the pitch for the start of the game, Kevin Keegan was the manager then. And Kevin Keegan said to me, Mr. Hackett, are you for real? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you can't possibly be playing on there. And I went, speak to the chief constable, mate. Don't speak to me. I'm off. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, well, thankfully, uh, the pitches of, in certainly in the Premier League uh, were very much up to the challenge, including uh, Ellen Road, where we saw uh, a wonderful game between Leeds yes. and Manchester United. And um, one of the uh, talking points that's come out of it, though, is um, Scott McTominay, who is involved in, in several challenges. Uh, certainly the, the comment uh, from a lot of Leeds fans is, should he have been able to stay on the pitch, given the number of challenges he made that were deemed to be fouls, Keith, what's your view? I think, first of all, let's start off on the positives because I thought that that um, Paul Tierney, the referee, was absolutely superb uh, across the game. Uh, he allowed the game to breathe. He took into account the, the, uh, the playing conditions and generally made some really good calls. Um, the worrying thing was McTominay. And, and, you know, you get conditioned to seeing him in previous games and um, he's a serious fouler, but he's also, look, he's a player that gets fouled as well because he's a mixer. For me, at the end of the game, it's easy to say because this is what you do when you're an assessor. You analyse the performance and you say that he got away with too much. So for me, I think I would have had an expectation that uh, Paul Tierney would have sent him off. I think he gave him a lot of leeway. And probably even Tierney will be thinking, could have nailed him. But there's this this whole sort of discussion that centres around when I coach the referees, maybe wrongly, I used to say, look, I want to I want the second yellow to be an orange. And it's a question whether you interpret any of those second offences after that first yellow in that orange zone that says you're off. The you know there's mixed views. I think generally my my opinion is he should have gone. I think that what will happen is this: as he's building his reputation, and I, I saw a quote today that is similar to Roy Keane. Um, I don't think anybody's similar to Roy Keane because he was a serial offender with brutality <laughs> on occasions. I think that the referees have got to be aware of him and deal with him pretty pretty early on and go through the process. I would have liked Paul Tierney to have pulled the captain across and, and given the, uh, the player a public rollicking because I think the player was seen coming off to have won the argument. I got away with too much. Um, and I think a, a genuine conversation on the field to say, look, I'm giving you a bit. I know you're taking a bit. Just help hmm. it's really difficult i guess to identify maybe the challenge in all the ones that scott mctonnelly made that could have been perceived as the tipping point the one that would be the second yellow is that fair yeah i i think that generally what you've got is you've got you've got a player of his caliber who gets involved so he's literally pivotal around the team at the moment getting involved in almost everything He's certainly not a lazy player. He's one that does get involved, and therefore you, you have to take that into account. So this is about balance. It's about reading. Um, but, you know, the one area that's difficult for a referee, and particularly one like Tierney in that particular game, when he's allowing a bit, is, you know, it's easy to forget the persistent infringe, the player who persistently infringes. It's a law that is there for which you can a referee can take action. I think that's what, in fairness, Tierney did on that first yellow card, really. He got him and said, right, you've had three or four, I'm, I'm nailing you on this one. And then the referee's accused of inconsistency. So it, it's a balance. Um, it's easy for someone sat in an armchair, not in the heat of the moment, to actually be critical of, of the referee for not sending McTominay off. And therefore, this is this is the debate around that particular thing. The learning point here is that to get a balance into it, he should have had that conversation with McTominay, stop the game, put your foot on the ball, bring the captain across and say, look, I'm seeing you too much. And that might have done the trick. Simon, what do you reckon? Do you know what? In that game yesterday, and, and th- this is kind of a thing is where the armchair kind of comes into it, is 
the fact, I mean, I've had the pleasure of officiating at Ellen Road, and when you walk out and that huge stand opposite, it is so daunting. It, it is the biggest ground I've officiated in. And I only had a couple of thousand there. When you listen to that atmosphere yesterday, it was the, it was the first... Leeds United, Manchester United game with fans since uh, Leeds got promoted. And the atmosphere came through the TV completely. So, and I'll go on, I'll be hand on that here. I am a Manchester United fan, so I will put that on there. Um, however, in a disagreement with, with uh, Keith on this one, I didn't, I thought he got the absolutely nailed on when Bruno Fernandes went down as if he'd been shot for their second goal. Um, I, as soon as I saw the replay, I was like, no, no, this is a goal. It's going to be a goal. But anyway, going back to the atmosphere, it's an entertainment game. A lot of people have paid a lot of money. Those that paid yesterday, and do you know what? I'd like to think even the Leeds fans yesterday go, we were part of a Premier League classic. Now, it's not the result that they wanted. And with Keith, in the sense of the conversation was the thing that was missed. That conversation with a player that says no more. To be honest with you, I would have done it on... There was one... It was after he had, had the card, and he was he was just he was a second late over on the far side. That was the conversation for me to turn around and say, he has any more, he's gone. Because I think that they just brought everyone down. Now the thing is, is on the you say about consistency. I have a thing between consistencies on all games, and I know the purists of referees will go, "Oh no, the law book's the law book." Every single game is different. Every atmosphere on the pitch is different, and how the players are being responsive to you on the pitch is different. Does that mean you give them a bit more? To be honest with you, yes, they just wanted to, they, they wanted to play the best football they could on a pitch that was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And I think a red would have ruined the spectacle that we saw. And it's an entertainment game. I think the word is the one thing that was missing. But I just thought it, it was... Oh, it was going back in time. It's how football should be played. And I've seen the Scott McTominay picture on Instagram. I don't know if anyone's seen it and everything. His ankle's red. It's cut all over. So it's fair to say he got kicked as much as he did the kicking yesterday. So does that mean that the captain has to take a card for the sake of the fact that we don't know who's done it or whatever? The... The one other thing I'm going to add for yesterday, though, and I know it's not on your discussion tonight, but maybe it is, is the concussion rule. Because mm, yeah. the Leeds player shouldn't have carried on. Correct. Um, or at least had 10 minutes off and just done a concussion substitute and brought him back on if need be, if, if yeah. he thought he were all right. So, But I do think that kind of lent towards people thinking it was a coming together it looked like he tried to pull out Scott McTominay and it was I think to be honest with you I think it's because he tried to pull out that the heads clashed yeah, yeah and, and I guess the important thing to point out here in terms of the referee is there's there's no other power that they have in terms of dealing with that at the moment the the laws and the protocols are what they are but as we've seen charities like uh, headway today saying football's really got to look at this and maybe look at temporary substitutes or some other trial i guess it's something that the ifab may have to come up with something on key well i i think i'm quite clear on this i think first of all um i don't think we should rely on club staff to check the concussion status of a player I think that this should be very clear that when there's a head injury sustained, that player comes off the field, either on a stretcher or he's able, if he's capable, he walks off. And then he is he's reviewed and checked by a doctor that is, if, if you like, under the banner of the Premier League. I know some years ago, after the Peter Check situation, the Premier League put in place at every Premier League game, their own doctor, independent, that they paid for, along with a senior paramedic and an ambulance, believe it or not. 
because of the Czech situation. Now, whether that's concurrent still in place, I don't know. But for me, I don't think you can assess a player uh, for concussion on the field of play under the pressure of we want the game to get underway again. I think just bring him off, bring the concussion sub on, and when that player is checked and he's okay, allow him back on uh, and the concussion sub comes off. So I'm quite clear. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that Simon's raised it because it, it's an issue that clearly has, has, has been mentioned very heavily in the media today. I think anybody watching that game recognised that that player was in trouble. Yeah, and uh, we'll wait and see what further action comes of that in the next uh, weeks and months. It's interesting, though. It's, I mean, it's not the only situation by any means that we've seen of that this season. Uh, I was at Sheffield Wednesday Morecambe uh, yeah. a few weeks ago, actually, and the goalkeeper for Morecambe, Trevor Carson, took a shot square in the face, basically, and was mm. down for a few minutes being assessed, got back up, played for another 15 minutes, sat down and went off as a concussion. And and the risks there, obviously, you could do more damage while you're on the pitch and uh, who knows what could happen after that. So that's an issue one, we'll keep One other issue, Mike, before mm. we move on, and that is I want to just touch on the subject of the Manchester United manager coming on, trying to quell a, a mass confrontation. Uh, I'd I raise one issue again. I'm quite clear that the Premier League and the FA should ban managers coming onto the field of play at any point during the game and post-match. I think that what we should say to managers is stay in the technical area and you arrive on the technical area on the side of the pitch and you leave the same way without going onto the field of play. I think there's too much of the referee being confronted by managers. And on this occasion, this particular manager is alleged not only have gone on to try and calm it down, but also to question the referee and not taking action on the on the foul that was committed on Fernandez in the build up to that second goal in Leeds. So again, I think these are these are areas that, that need to be highlighted and and this helps referees going forward. You know, let the referee deal with mass confrontation. He's got a criteria, he knows how to deal with it, he's experienced enough to deal with it. Um and then ultimately, of course, what happens is the club gets charged. As in this case, both clubs should be charged. And then one final point on this game, I really applaud the, the chairman of Leeds United. And I'm not a Leeds fan, but in his programme notes, he mentioned this, the fact of the behaviour of fans and in particular, the throwing of missiles and objects. Obviously, we had a Manchester United player injured. Um, he shouldn't have to face that as a professional player. It could be an eye. Fortunately, it was the top of his head. Um, and again, I praise the, 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 the chief executive for coming out again today, the chairman of Leeds United, saying, we are going to get this person through this and we're going to do yeah. something about it. Yeah, they've talked about lifetime bans, haven't they, for anyone yes. uh, they catch throwing yeah. things onto the pitch, which is... Uh... Well, you're not going to get any arguments from me about that. Um, can we quickly, because we didn't have a show last week and we got so many emails, more emails on this, Keith, than we've had on any other issue. Uh, Martinelli and the double yellow card in the Wolves-Arsenal game from uh, a few days back. So for anyone who's not seen it, and if you haven't seen it by now, um, where have you been? Essentially, Wolves taking a throw in, Martinelli gets involved in trying to disrupt the throw take being taken, essentially. Play goes on with the referee signalling an advantage. Martinelli then on the chase trying to recover position, commits another foul. He's booked twice, first for disrupting the throw-in and then for the challenge and gets a red card. Um, Keith, anyone who's followed you on social media will know what you think about this. Yes. Um, so very quickly, just restate your position, then we'll get Simon's uh, taking it as well. First of all, in law, the referee, you cannot criticise because he's actually carried out the law. The, the player has committed two offences. In refereeing terms, the, about keeping players on the pitch rather than dismissing them, and ensuring that Michael goes to the World Cup, prevention is better than a cure. I think he should have come in earlier, recognised that that throw in, in itself uh, and the, the playing of advantage was too risky and it bounced back on it. So... Looking back, it, again, in retrospect, 
pull the player for encroachment because he's not two yards away from the ball. That's, mm. that's the law. He can apply it, but he's actually handled or attempted to handle the ball and prevented the throw being taken correctly. So I think Michael could have come in. And I think, uh, you know, it's easy to be wise after the event. And, and he could have stopped it and prevented the double yellow. But, he, hey, you need a bit of luck. Like this weekend, I saw Andy Madley play an absolutely stunning advantage that resulted in a goal. And sometimes, occasionally, those advantages that you apply, apply as a referee, they don't come off and they make you look a bit of a fool. I don't think t- Oliver was a fool on this one. I think he left himself open to the fact, you know, that there shouldn't be surprises. Now, obviously, when I'm talking about surprises, is I think that most people at that game were rather shocked that that player was going to get a red card because they their concentration is on that first foul, that first mm-hmm. offence, if you like, and they don't they don't com- com- compute both offences. They don't see them as two; they see them as one. But they were two separate offences here. Simon, what did you make of it all? Well, the interesting thing is there is what a lot of uh, fans got confused with is because they do pick up bits and pieces of laws and what commentators and people say. And one, one of them was the fact that you um, you can only card for the most serious offence. But that's within the same incident. This was two yes. separate incidents. Mm. And, and yes. people aren't realising that it is two separate. You've got the one actually at the throw-in, and then you've got, obviously, the other foul. Now, me personally, I, I just sat there and went, that's brilliant. Because I love it when they're correcting law. I get the management, and going back to what I've just said, and Lee, people have paid a lot of money. They want to put C11 v11, and and I get that. And to be honest with you, I had he blown straight away, done the yellow card straight away, got on with the game. You know, nothing would have been said. There wouldn't have been anything about it. They'd have all turned around and gone, "Yeah, he absolutely deserved it." But to do what he did, things like that from the very, very best highlight to grassroots people that sometimes we don't make the laws up you know we actually do follow them and just because you didn't know the law doesn't mean it isn't one you know so there is that kind of catch-22 but the other thing it highlighted for me and do you know what Tierney did do it yesterday there was a yellow card tackle Man U put the hand on the ball, getting ready to take it very, very quickly, and he brought it back. Now, it's been rewritten in law that you can then progress that bit. You can actually take the quick free kick because it's your... And then you can come back and do the yellow card. That was added either this season or last season into the laws of the game. Now, go back... So, I've seen a number of referees stop that straight away. Now think about the Martinelli thing. Has he done it that he's carried on to come back for the yellow card? And technically, it's bit him in the backside because he's then gone and committed another second yellow card offence. Uh, well, it's it's been a, a hugely controversial uh, decision, but thankfully we can park it there because I think it's probably been discussed yeah. enough in the last week or so. But I just wanted to get your take on it. Um, Shall we talk body cams then? And uh, in the in the last week or so, uh, the FA requesting a, a trial of body cams uh, for referees at grassroots level. Um, they can use the technology if the laws of the game are changed by the IFAB. They've got a meeting in March where this will be discussed. Um, Keith has been strongly in favour of this whenever we've discussed the subject. Simon, as a as a grassroots referee right now, if this went ahead, you would have the opportunity perhaps to, to wear one. Um, would you want to wear one? Uh, or indeed, how many referees would you say that you know would want to wear one? And what impact do you think they might have? For me, yes. On certain games, without a doubt. Um, would I do it on some of the junior games I do? I don't think I would. It's probably safeguarding issues there, aren't they, for, for kids' games as well? Yeah, but... Some some of the games that I I'm on at the moment, we're just really enjoying it because I'm kind of handpicking quite a few now. A few weeks ago, I actually got a phone call to go and cover a game in the afternoon uh, at a higher level, 
adult men's and I absolutely wish I had a camera. The team were foul, they were disgusting. Um, I were on the line, the abuse we got was ridiculous and it's just there's something in society at the moment, there's something in football that has changed with the lack, you know, you've got the Spanish referees who are currently on strike or going on strike at the moment and people have had enough and I, I, I stood in for this game and the abuse that the referee got was unbelievable but amazingly it was, it was so good whilst he was giving them decisions as soon as he gave one against <laughs> them it was horrendous and I just no cameras for me I think it, it's an absolute must without a doubt I think players would watch how they behave it works for the police the prison the ambulance fire everybody else it works for all them it's an absolute must, but what I would love to know is what has changed in the FA for him to even be concerned about this. Because at the moment, they're not even acknowledging that there's any bad behaviour at grassroots. But this is probably the nearest to it that they're acknowledging that there is a must. But that's because the FA want easy prosecutions, and I think camera footage will do it for them. They that's an interesting to, they point. They don't want to work for the money. Just on that, I mean, whenever I see things uh, about cameras on, on social media, Simon, uh, a lot of the replies and comments will focus on the fact that it's about, uh, you know, one referee's word against the, the words of, you know, team A or team B and who gets trusted. And in theory, the FA should always be behind the referee, their representative on the pitch. But that is not necessarily what happens, is it? So, I mean, in terms of camera footage, as you sort of highlighted there, how much more powerful would that be? It's priceless. Do I you think know that's what? a really a referee, good point. If I've got camera footage and go, there you go, that's exactly what happened. Or even audio, because that recently there's been on social media an audio that a referee had recorded of what happened after a game and what was said to him. Even audio gives you that little bit of the fact that I ain't, you know, every referee sh for me should be backed unless they've got a history or whatever that they've not, not been so great in the past, let's say. But a referee who's 14, 15, doesn't know how to write a report properly. Instead of the FA trying to find a reason not to prosecute because their player is about to be suspended for three years or whatever, their cash cow's gone, um, let's literally be able to say look this is what's happened you know this is what was said and they've got no reason to doubt the referee anymore which always seems to be the thing is how can how can i get the referee not the not the players i think first of all let's look at the fa because in my era there were two secretaries at the fa that that made a real change here in sheffield uh, the first one was Ernest Kangley, and then he, he was followed by uh, Jeff Thompson, who, of course, became the FA uh, chairman. Both of them had a very clear remit. Uh, Jeff himself was a, uh, was a referee, I think, on the North Regional League then, which is now defunct. Um, there is absolutely no, no question, and I attended two or three personal hearings, um, the player was guilty and had to work damn hard to actually put a case forward to defend his position. And I can remember a player uh, on one, one incident questioning uh, my sort of decision and uh, Ernest Kangley came out and said, we're not here to prosecute the referee. We're not here to question the referee. The referee is sacrosanct. He's working for us. He's our man. And we're going to support him. You tell me why you're here and why you think he's got it wrong. But please don't interfere with the referee or even question his integrity. And I think all too often we've seen a drift. Uh, that drift has come, I think, because who are the powerhouse of um, who's running the FAs? And what are the FAs? I think, first of all, we've got to look at the structure of the FA. It's an organization that is used to be 
uh, strong in, in many instances. It's been dissipated into various regional FAs, some operating really well. Uh, and this is all areas of the game, by the way. You know, this is, this is how they deal with clubs, how they deal with referees, how they deal with competitions. They've divorced themselves a lot of, I mean, our own county FA divorced itself from most competitions. It used to run them all, generally. Uh, yeah, it's got more staff and its service levels to the, to the, to the game, if you like, is nowhere near what it used to be. I mean, I'm, I can talk in terms of refereeing because I think at the moment it's a mess. I, I don't see referees in this part of the world supported. Uh, I, I, you know, to, okay, they're beginning to start to, to run courses now. There was no reason why they couldn't run referees' courses during COVID. Don't they understand technology, Zoom meetings? And they're not addressing the shortfall. Nobody at the FA seems to understand that there is a massive shortfall in referees. You know, we're, we're grateful that Simon well, does well, it. Perhaps this is a, a response to that, and maybe that's one of the reasons why they're asking for, for this technology, Keith. It's one thing, though, for the FA to ask. It's another thing for the IFAB to say, yes, we will allow a trial of this or, or something to be done within grassroots football in, uh, in England. So what are the chances of there being a yes to this question and how, how quickly could this happen? Well, I think there's a meeting on March 3rd, I think it is. Um, I think that if the, if the FA go with a paper and a, and a detailed paper, a one that says this is why we want to use it with factual data to back it up, a criteria of how they intend to operate it and how they intend to... Um, punish through those reports if you like um, and it may well be that they say right okay we're going to run an experiment but at what level are they going to run that experiment you know uh, you've got a young referee he's coming out for his first few games does he does he really want that um, therefore I think if there is a system that is as smooth as possible we know that cameras are available from, you know, you can pay 50 quid for one. Uh, generally around that price, you'll get, you'll get about eight hours of recording. I'm for body counts. Very clearly, the FA have got, and I'm pleased that they have. I'm pleased that they're going to yeah, the yeah. IFAB to say, look, we really want good. I hope they're not going with the, to the IFAB on the basis that they come back and say to everybody else, well, we can't have them because the IFAB won't allow it. Look, the FA are the IFAB. The, along with the Scottish FA, the Irish FA, the Welsh FA and FIFA. FIFA have four votes, the rest have one. So if the FA have got any sense, they will be talking to the Scottish, the Welsh, the Irish FAs to say, look, this is why we're doing it. This is why we want the experiment and why we need to prove these things can, can work. I think, I think, Keith, straightforward on this is the recruitment side of refereeing actually isn't a problem. It, it, it isn't a problem. There's The next two-month courses here are full. I know yeah. that. I saw it the other day. It's full. The interesting, it's retention. Correct. And that's where we've got to start, which is the existing referees feeling like they are being protected because that's what isn't the case mm. at the moment for a lot of referees. And I, and I mean, there's a number of referees. If the FA were really, I, I would say, say there's a 1,000 referees, each county FA has a 1,000. I don't know what the exact figures are, but... but out of that thousand, they probably speak to twenty or thirty of those referees. Yeah. So what about the rest? You know, this to me is the FA reconnecting with the referees, and I really, really hope it goes through. They run a pilot the same way they did the sin bins, because I felt that the leagues could bid for it. They put a good argument together to say why it'd be great to have that pilot, and I think that that that'd be brilliant. 
Yeah, Simbins were the, was, was an idea by David Ellery, who was the technical director of the IFAB. Uh, therefore, I think that they've got to influence Ellery uh, about uh, body cameras. But I, I, I'm, I'm clear that anything that might help to retain, retain a referee's services to the game, then let's, let's uh, run an experiment. I think they'll pri- prove that it will work. Uh, I think that the area that they've really got to cover is the criteria and at what point these can be used. Uh, because the, the, there is a risk that where referees are assaulted, that that, that that camera evidence will in fact be used in a court of law. So I think I think there's there's the dilemma for the FA. Are, are the, is the power that they hold going to be taken away from them and and be transferred that, that, to the police on assault? Um, um, why would that? Forgive me, this may be a completely ignorant question, but I feel it's my duty to ask it because that's why I'm here. Um, why would the fact that this could be escalated further into actual, you know, if there is an assault that is filmed on one of these cameras, why is that a problem for the FA? Well, I think there's, a, there's old school thinking. I'm, I'm quite clear that when a referee is assaulted, he, he can write as many reports as he likes to the FA, the one that counts is that trip to the police station to report he's been assaulted. That's, that, there's, no, there's no second chance on this. It's straight down to the police station and say you've been assaulted and, and, the, and for the police to deal with it. Well, let's hope we hear some good news in the next few weeks. And, of course, yes. we'll keep you across that uh, on seeing them given. You'd have to think as well that um, presumably this is not just a, a, a problem that we see in England and referees around the world are, are also wanting some kind of protection too. If that's the case with you, wherever you're listening, hello at seeingthemgiven.co.uk is how you can get in touch with the show. If it's something you want, I'd love to hear from you. Um, Right, also on the agenda tonight, VAR Lite. Now, this is something that's completely new to me, although apparently there's been trials going on for a little while about different systems and the way this could work. Um, The Diet Coke of VAR, essentially, that could be in the... English Football League and the Women's Super League and elsewhere. The Reader's Digest version of this that I've been able to, well, get through the the internet, Keith, is fewer cameras, maybe a little less intrusive, not looking at quite as many decisions. Would that be a a fair summary or have I got that a little bit wrong? Yeah. I mean, the main main experiments have been running Poland and Brazil. Um, And I think that when we look at the championship here in England, I'm sure that they would want VAR, despite how we see it operated at the Premier League level, which is still cause for concern. But that, that's that's how it's operated and who's operating it. Uh, and that is down to not the technology, that is down to the people and the leadership and, and, and the assessment of the decision-making process and how you can improve. I think with with uh, VAR light, it's aimed at c- countries that don't have the amount of money available. Uh, it will see uh, a smaller number of people operating it. That's the the number. The, the idea is to take costs down. Four to eight cameras uh, is is the baseline experiment they've been running. Where there's been one to three cameras, which is the second line, uh, then that's been experiments have been running but they've not been broadcast they're not they're not influencing the the outcomes of games i think it's a step in the right direction but i get increasingly concerned that we are um, formulating and not admitting that we've got two games here we've got a professional game and we've got a grassroots game and i think all too often the people who are making these decisions are forgetting about grassroots football um, and in some instances, making life more difficult for for young referees at grassroots level. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I think I think in the women's game, uh, uh, it should come in because we want we want the transfer of skills. We want those those people that have let's say the VAR operating in the championship. We want that person to be elevated ultimately to the Premier League in England to be a Premier League VAR operator. And ultimately, like we've got people who are just assistant referees and we've got others who are just referees, we need a group that's just VAR. What do you reckon, Simon? 
I don't know if you saw it. If you watched the Arsenal Chelsea women's game last oh, week. Oh yes, is this the handball incident the handball. late in, in stoppage time? Yeah. yeah, this is why they need light because uh, Rebecca Welsh had had a superb game. I mean, I she were outstanding. She were everywhere, and she had no chance of seeing that. It's one of those incidents where the assistant's on the opposite side, which is typical on an incident like this. She's got a goalkeeper, defenders and attackers in a way. So she's she, she's like, whatever on the mic it'll be, I can't see a thing. Re- Rebecca's there. Her body language 100% says to me, I know she's, I can guess that she's handballed that from everybody's reaction, but I haven't seen it. I can't give it. Yeah. And VAR light in that situation only needs one look. It doesn't need all the cameras. It just needs one different angle on that incident, and the correct decision would have been given, and it had topped a fantastic performance off. It really would have. And so, to me, the bits that I I've read about, I, I haven't read as much as Keith has, but I wanted to see because I didn't understand the one to three, the four to eight. Um, and I didn't realise they are looking at another level, uh, the one to three, but the four to eight will work. And the thing is, is on a lot of non-league around here, they have um, a, a plug for a company here, VO, VO cameras. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So quite a few clubs. I mean, I've noticed quite a few of the junior clubs are even getting them now. But when I watch that footage back on an offside, you can pretty much tell it's not to a toe. There's no two lines. It's not to a toe. But very quickly, you will know on or off or thereabouts. So for me, the sooner the better. There's two concerns. One's the money. Because they've got to remember the EFL have just announced all their plans to do with the money and everything else and points deductions. This is going to be an additional cost onto them clubs. Mm. Then the most concerning one... Who's going to man it? We ain't got any referees. Yeah. Well, that is an interesting point, actually. Uh, assuming, assuming VAR light though works and is is popular. Part of the thought that occurred to me was, well, if it's less intrusive, if it's less involved in the game, it actually could prove to be a bit more popular than VAR proper. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, uh, I think in one game this weekend, I can't recall it, but. Um... There was a an offside uh, decision. It might have been a third goal. I'm just trying. It was to Lacazette. Was it was Lacazette goal. at Arsenal. Yes, and and um, there was no line shown afterwards, and I thought that was interesting. I, I there was a game um, involving Rangers up in Scotland this weekend where there was a, a massive shirt pull on a forward. It was an easy penalty kick. If you sat watching the TV, for the referee, uh, the referee, uh, he's looking to a crowd. He hasn't got a chance. For the assistant referee, I think it's part covered. I don't think it's in a mel- it's in a, a mass of players, and I don't think he's got an ideal view. And of course, Scotland are hoping to introduce VAR, but there's hesitancy. Here was a an example. Uh, you know, someone this morning started to criticise the referee because he hadn't. I hadn't missed it. And I said, look, this is like waiting for a bus and you don't quite see the numbers on the front and you let it go by and then suddenly realise it's the one that you want to get on. Um, I think I think genuinely uh, VAR has got to come in at the championship. I want to see it at the women's game because it's part of the preparation of our match officials that are going to the World Cups, are going to the serious competition in Europe. And therefore, I think it, it's part of the training process. But Simon's it hit it right on the head, and that is, you can't do it unless you've got officials. Therefore, I think this is why months and months and months ago, in fact, three years ago, I said that they had to have a group of, uh, even if it's semi-retired referees, acting as VAR operators for that very reason. There's a manpower resource problem, and it is massive. Because, you know, at, 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 make no mistake, at grassroots level where you want assistant referees 
to be preparing to go upwards. Even on our competition, we're having to use referees, assistant referees who, who might have retired years ago. I think we've got our platform for, for the future here. So we've got body cams at grassroots level, leads to more attention, which means more referees available for VAR light, which means a happier refereeing world and a happier football fan community. Oh, we've got another one. Is and that's that, automated offside, Simon. We'll be discussing that Automated offside's coming. I've also got, don't forget, that little middle gap bit, Keith. I've told you about it. I'll not put it on air at the moment. It's for another time. But I've got a great solution using experienced referees. And well, it's a great with... way of talking yourself back onto the show in a few weeks, Simon. So it is, honestly, it, it's... it's I've, re- I've spoke to a couple of referees and said, would you? And they've said, well, I'd have to, wouldn't I? And that means refer- good referees refereeing at leagues they're not on at the moment. Oh, well, we're definitely coming in, coming back Stay to that in a few one. weeks' time. Simon Hall from the uh, Steel City Referee Association, thank you very much for being with us. Keith, as always, thank you very much for being part of the show too. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is how you get in touch. And as we say every week, if you've enjoyed the show, leave us a rating, leave us a review, wherever it is you get your podcasts. And, of course, you'll be able to help other people discover the show too or indeed you can do it directly text someone let them know about it and we'll see you next week this is like uh, the secret track at the end of the album if you stayed around long enough isn't it Uh, so one thing we didn't discuss and just occurred to me because we sold it at the start and we didn't actually do it Interesting article in The Athletic uh, this week. Southampton, Keith, in 14 of the 20 Premier League games they looked at, have had a player go down between the 60th and the 70th minute, and the players of Southampton have gone to the sideline. They've taken on drinks. uh, They've had some tactical instructions from the coaching staff. They've essentially engineered, it would seem, a drinks break it was interesting listening to Frank Lampard being interviewed about this and saying, well, you know, it's uh, it's fine margins, isn't it? It's marginal gains. Uh, he didn't seem to have too much of a problem with it, maybe because he used to be managed by Jose Mourinho, who probably did uh, that and an awful lot else as well to try and wheedle away around the rules. But what do you what do you make of this? And how how on earth could you could you stop a team from engineering a drinks break with a random player going down, essentially? Well, I think, first of all, we have to think of the fans at uh, Premier League level because at the moment, I think the average of of a game play time is about 57 minutes out of the 90. So the fans are already being cheated to some degree out of the money that they pay at the gate. And therefore, I think it's incumbent upon referees and the competition as a whole to try and keep that game flowing and and the momentum going. Tactically, we know that when there is a, a game between, say, a, a team at the bottom and one at the top, and I'll put it at that, as that extreme, the team at the bottom is trying to restrict the amount of playing time because that offers less opportunity for the opposition to score. So we also know from a, a, a physical point of view, through sports scientists, uh, that, that the body generates in in terms of tiredness sugar levels acrylites in the bloodstream and all that and and i think it's noticeable that what what southampton are doing is that they're recognizing that the peak performance is dipping they're not going to take a banana and eat that on the field but what they are going to do is take some gels that contain if you like that quick burst that gives them gets them back to the energy energy level what they're doing, in effect, is cheating. I'll put it as blunt as that. Now, cheating comes when they are fictitiously saying a player is injured. They're not using it when there is an injury. Not, the player's going down as though he's got cramp or he's got something else. They are manufacturing a delay. To play devil's advocate for a second, Keith, how would we know that? Maybe they've just been extremely unlucky to have players go down at look, these particular moments of Premier League game? Uh, look, 
there's a huge amount of data collected at the Premier League level. I used to have reams of it in terms of referees' performances, and therefore that's that's available to the club. It's available to the competition. So I think the first thing is that with the knowledge that's come to the fore, that that it's it's up to the Premier League to act. Will they act? Because remember that Southampton are a shareholder like the other 19 clubs of the Premier League. They own it. Uh, what what, what can they do? What kind of action could they take, the Premier League? Well, I think that, I think that they should... Uh, breaks are a problem within the game at, at, that's been broadcast across the world uh, because you can lose fans. They can switch off. They lose interest. Um, so for me, I think it's in the round. that um, The first thing is for a letter, I think, to go and say, look, crying wolf from an injury point of view is a dangerous procedure. And that's the first thing because the referee can suddenly go, about oh, 60 minutes, I know what they're doing here. And then for the PGMOL and its referees to alert them to the fact that there's a problem area. So don't be too liberal about stopping the game in relation to delay. And then, of course, the laws of the game. Let's apply the laws of the game because the laws are very clear about treatment of injuries on the field of play. And so let's get a bit sharper, like the FIFA did a few World Cups ago uh, uh, where they said quite clearly... We're not treating anybody on the field of play. Put them on a stretcher and take them off. We might be heading for that situation. A stronger enforcement of the treatment of players on the field of play. If they've got cramp, carry them off. So I'm I'm quite clear. I think my first put duty here at the Premier League is the fans getting the time and the duty of care towards the player. If, uh, if the club is concerned that the, the the players need to be re-energised, then bring that to the fore of the Premier League and the FA and IFAB and let's have a change in the laws of the game to accommodate it. Simon, is this this just marginal gains or is this uh, is this cheating, as, as Keith Do you know, <laughs> there is the part of marginal gain. If I had a manager's hat on, I'd say, yeah, it is. it's all about that gain. And I, and I definitely understand that dip at, the end of the game on the energy side of things but at the end of the day it's also deceiving the referee and he's just said it if I now know this and I see a player go down I think right let's carry on you know let's get on with the game what if it's a serious injury and I'm saying get on with the game who's the who's the person in that firing line because I guarantee you it ain't going to be the club and it ain't going to be the players. It's going to be the referee that gets absolutely hammered. And you see sometimes all oh, the playing on, well, it's not a head injury, is it? And you see them sometimes, they'll go down with a knee and then the hands go to the face or the head because they yeah. want the game stopping. Some, someone's got to do something. Someone will get hurt. You know, it's as, for me, it's as serious as this VAR holding the flag until the tax done because a keeper and attacker is going to get injured this is exactly the same thing someone's going to end up seriously injured the referee's going to play on and all hell's going to break loose 